Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church of Jefferson Hills. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by sharing and showing the love of Christ and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now, here is this week's message from Pastor Floyd Hughes. Uh, we're a few weeks into a series um, looking to equip Christians uh, to answer questions about our faith. Um, this is especially important now uh, because many people are questioning their faith, and these are the types of questions that uh, they're asking. So the goal is that we would be able to equip people to say, hey, uh, when they're in this conversation in a respectful way, say, here's why we believe what we believe. So we talked about a couple of things so far. Uh, we started on Easter, so we talked obviously about the resurrection, that it, it's true. It's a factual, actual event that actually happened. It's not just a myth or a story. Uh, we talked about uh, the people that say all the church wants is your money. I don't know if you guys get that. I get that on a regular basis. Uh, people think I make all kind of money and take all you guys' money, and I don't know what they think I buy with it because you guys see what I drive and how I dress, right? Um, I was just talking with, I think it was Larry, and, and about shoe buying, and I think we were talking about it during the Bible study, and I'm like, Walmart all the way, right? I don't want to pay more than 10, 15 bucks for shoes. Um, these I've had for three years. They're worn, but they were $12. Until the ends go, I'm, I'm wearing these. So I don't know why people think that, you know, I'm, I'm getting all this money and spending all this money. I do spend a lot on shirts, though, so maybe that's the thing. All right, but we talked about the church doesn't just want your money. The church uh, wants people to be good stewards of God's resources and to acknowledge that, yeah, what we get, it comes from God. Uh, then we talked about suffering, right? Uh, because people say, why does God allow suffering? And we talked about the fact that suffering is a part of the human experience because we live in a fallen world. And we're going to talk a little bit about today uh, how we see that most of the suffering we experience comes from other people. We talked a little bit about that, right? Um, and then we talked about last week on Mother's Day, and it was probably not the greatest topic to talk about on Mother's Day, but how some people think that the Bible and Christianity is demeaning to women, right? Especially because now, you know, because of anytime you talk about abortion or sexuality and the church says, hey, this is what we believe, uh, it comes across as, well, you're demeaning to women, which is not true, as we talked about. Uh, I think the way that it's presented by some people may seem like that, but that's not the way the Bible presents it. So uh, the topics that we're going to talk about over the next couple of weeks uh, may seem even a little bit more intense and more controversial, right? So we're going to talk about, just to give you guys a heads up, uh, regardless of whether or not this shooting in Buffalo happened and everyone thinks it's, it was race-related, regardless of whether it, it was or not, we already had on our radar next week to talk about racism because it's a big thing in our country. And unfortunately, it's a huge thing in the church, and it shouldn't be. We already had uh, on our radar to talk about, um, and this wasn't even a phrase before, but it has been because of the political divide, Christian nationalism, how people say, oh, all of you, you know, Christians are, are waving the American flag and, and don't care about anyone else, so we're going to talk about that. And the reason we're talking about these, again, is because people are asking about them, and the Bible does discuss some of these topics. So, uh, as I've said before, we don't take a political side. We take the side of God's truth and God's word. 
and we don't shy away from these topics. Uh, we share, here is what the Bible says about these topics, and not in a, hey, you're an idiot if you don't believe it way, but in a, hey, this is where we stand way, and this is what we believe, right? So it's not to be argumentative, but it is to discuss some of these topics. The topic we're going to talk about this morning is one that, I don't know if you guys have heard this, I hear this a lot. I have a friend who says, Christians should stop legislating morality. Has anyone ever heard that before? Okay, not a lot of people, but some. Uh, and I hear, especially when things come up uh, that are regarding, again, abortion, sexuality, anything that's on a political spectrum where Christians say, well, here's what I believe. And then people say, well, hey, you Christians should stop legislating your morality. Now, no disrespect to the people who say this, but this in itself, um, just give me a minute, this is one of those statements that I can't take seriously because it's what's called a self-defeating statement, right? So what, the what people say is, hey, you Christians should stop legislating morality. In other words, stop trying to vote for and, and push what you believe onto others. That's, that's their stance. But the statement itself is them trying to tell Christians what you should do. So I can't take you seriously when you say stop doing this because the very thing that you're doing is trying to prevent me from doing what I want to do. So uh, I granted, I get where they're coming from, but that's not the right way to talk about it, right? So what we're going to do this morning is start by looking at um, the fact that, one, we're not supposed to, we as Christians aren't supposed to legislate our morality, right? We're not supposed to go find people to put in office who are going to push our Christian beliefs onto the rest of, you know, the municipality, the borough, the state, or the nation. That's not the way it's supposed to work. Spoiler alert, the way it's supposed to work, we as Christians are supposed to live out God's moral law through the power of his Holy Spirit in our lives so that other people look and say, wow, I, I, I want to be more like that, right? I want that type of God in my life. That's what we're supposed to do. So bear with me. This is a, the, the first part of this is going to be a little bit, before we dig into the Bible, first part of this is going to be a little bit sound like, you know, school type stuff. And I know school's almost out, but bear with me. Because the first thing we need to do is define what morality is, right? So we're all on the same page. So uh, definitions, morality is defined as a set of values or principles of conduct concerning right or wrong, okay? Morality is different than behavior. Morality is, hey, here's the line of what's right and wrong, right? One side is right, one side of it is wrong. Here's the line. That line is unchanging. It doesn't change. It doesn't flip-flop. No matter where you go in the world, right, and no matter when you go in the world, if you went thousands of years ago, hundreds of years ago, hopefully still hundreds of years in the future, there are cultures that will look and say that harming innocent people is wrong. Harming babies is wrong. Harming women is wrong. That's why if you look throughout history, initially there were rules about women not entering the military. It wasn't because we didn't think they could fight. It's because you wanted to protect the women. Right? And no matter where you go, there are rules that say, hey, when you do those type of things, you're wrong, okay? So did I say that correct? Harming innocent people um, is wrong. Protecting women and innocent people 
That's right. That's celebrated. That's why we have holidays that honor our police and our military, right? Because they risk their lives to protect our communities and to protect our way of life, right? And it's not just us. That's not an American thing. It's not just a this century thing. You go centuries back, harming people, innocent women, children, wrong. Protecting people, celebrated. Warriors, celebrated. People that protect uh, their, their community, celebrated. And they, way before the internet, all of these cultures came to the same conclusion about what's right and what's wrong. Okay? Because it wasn't something that you come up with. It was written into the fabric of the universe. Now, here's the thing. God's moral law, what's right and wrong, written into the fabric of the universe. That means it's discoverable. You can discover it, but you can't change it. Even though there may be some people whose behavior is all about harming innocents, like the guy who decided, I'm going to go shoot people in Buffalo, that doesn't mean it's right just because someone does it, okay? And think about this, again, give me, give me some, some leeway with the whole school thing. Um, math, right? Um, one plus one, always going to equal two. No matter where you go in the planet, no matter where you go in the past or the present, no matter where you go in the universe, one plus one is always going to equal two. We can't change that. Even though some might try to change it, on their checkbook, because they forgot to carry the one or whatever, but it doesn't work out. One plus one, no matter what, always going to equal two. Now, there was a time when human culture didn't know one plus one equaled two. But guess what? One plus one equaled two. We discovered it, but we can't change it, because it's one of those kind of laws that's written into the fabric of the universe. It doesn't matter what country you go to or, or what you call it, a De Niro or, or whatever, or a yen or whatever, or the British pound, one plus one is always going to equal two. Nothing we can change. We can change language. You can come up with new languages. You can use letters and sounds that make no sense and create a new language. That's something that you can change. But math, along with God's moral law, unchangeable. We can't change it. Now, behavior is different. Behavior is the way in which an individual acts or conducts himself, and it might be in spite of the moral law. So even though there's a law that says killing innocent people is wrong, someone might go and do it. That doesn't mean that the morality has changed. Even if every single person in Buffalo said, hey, we're all going to go on a killing spree, that doesn't mean that the moral law has changed. It's still wrong. The behavior that they're doing can change. But the moral law is unchanging. That's, that's just God's way of like defining here's what it is. All right, now, here's the thing. God's morality, his principles of conduct, they're revealed through the biblical law. Right? So God had to find a way. There are certain things that were discovered, as we'll talk about. God had to find a way to say, hey, here's, here's what's right and here's what's wrong. So he revealed the biblical law uh, to all of humanity. Now, here's the thing. When you look through the Bible, 
you won't find a Greek or a Hebrew word, because it's written in Greek and Hebrew, there's a small part written in Aramaic, uh, you won't find a Greek, a Hebrew, or Aramaic word that's used for the word morals. It's not in there. You'll find in some versions that the word morals exists, but it's not the translation of a word. It's used to help expand on the translation of a word. There is no Greek or Hebrew word used in the Bible for the word morals because God's morality, his concept of morals, what's right and wrong, were revealed through the biblical law. So God gives us 613 in the Bible uh, laws, right? And they're broken down into several categories. And I was going to do a pop quiz and see who could remember the first 33. I can't remember two of them, right? And most people can't. But they're broken into the ceremonial laws. Those are the ones on, here's how we worship God, right? Here's the feasts, here's the, the, the offerings, the sacrifices. This is the way that we are to come and to worship God. How many people remember uh, the story of Cain and Abel, right? Cain made the mistake, and God revealed to them, here's how you worship me. He said, well, I'm going to do it this way. And God was displeased with him because he violated God's ceremonial law, Right? So there's parts of the 613 that are ceremonial. There's parts that are judicial, right? It says, hey, if you do this thing that violates the law, here's the consequence. If you steal, if you rob, if you lie, if you do this, there's a consequence, right? One of my favorites, disrespect your parents, you get stoned to death. No one is stoning their kids today, right, because we would all be in jail, um, but that was one of the things. It was the seriousness of violating God's moral law. Now, the respect, disrespect they were talking about was on another level, not for like, I'm not going to take out the trash, right? But there were judicial consequences for violating the law, and then there were the cultural ones, right? This is where here's the food you shouldn't eat. Uh, here's, you know, because of the context in which you live, make sure you go to the bathroom outside the camp. That was literally one of the laws. None of us, I shouldn't say that, but probably none of us have an outhouse, right? And if we do, we're probably waiting for indoor plumbing, right? Because, and yet, God's not looking at all of us with indoor plumbing and saying, you're violating the moral law. But that was more cultural context for that group of people at that time, right? So God lays out all of these laws, and here's how we're supposed to interact with one another. Now, like I said, none of us probably remember a lot of those laws, except the one about stoning your children, because now that's in your head, and some of you are probably considering it based on what your kids are doing. But most of us don't remember all these laws. So God said, hey, you know what? I'm going to summarize all these laws into 10 commandments, 10 easy-to-remember commandments. And in these 10 commandments, they're going to encapsulate, if you live this out, you're fulfilling all the 613 laws that God required of one another, right? So if you have a Bible, we're going to take a look at these Ten Commandments quickly. If you have a Bible, open it up to Genesis, excuse me, Exodus chapter 20, right? Exodus chapter 20. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We'll uh, have someone bring one to you, but there might be one on a chair underneath, in front of you, or on a table in front of you. Uh, and we're going to look at these really quick. And um, yeah, we're going to look at these really quick. So in Exodus chapter 20, this is after God has brought the people out of um, slavery in Egypt. We'll talk about that in a second. Now, here's the thing. 
God reveals all of these laws to them, to the people, and he starts in Exodus chapter 20, verse 1. God spoke all these words, verse 2, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Now, here's, here's why he does that. They already knew that, right? They already knew this is the God who brought us out. But God had to make it clear. All of these laws I'm about to give you, there needs to be a, an authoritative standard to follow these laws. Let me give you an example. Most kids, if, if, if because Beth and, and some of you who have worked with children, you're, you will hear children say, you're not the boss of me, you can't tell me what to do, right? Or you'll hear children say, you're not my mom or dad, you can't tell me what to do, right? Because even a child understands, in order for you to bring this law or try to tell me what to do, there needs to be a defining authoritative figure backing these laws. So what God says is, hey, I'm God. I'm the one who brought you out. I'm the authoritative figure backing these laws. Then verse 3 says this, you shall have no other gods before me. Uh, and this is because they were rescued from bigotry, racism, greed, and injustice by God judging the false gods. Now, last year we started off in January, and we spent like six or seven months going through the book of Exodus. So I'm not going to go into a lot of detail, but it's important to note um, that in Exodus chapter 12, this is what it says. God says, for I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment, proving their helplessness. I am the Lord. So God wanted to make it clear, hey, I'm setting you guys up as a culture. I'm revealing my morality to you. Don't waste your time worshiping false gods. Because as I've just shown you, I'm God. None of these other gods are worth worshiping, right? Then he says this, shall not make for yourself, verse 4, an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath, or in the waters below. That includes, and most people think, oh, I didn't carve an idol. That includes taking anything and worshiping it. And some of us, because I've done this in the past, will take uh, uh, um, famous people and make them into an idol. We'll take politicians and make them into an idol. We'll make popular people and make them into an idol that that's who we follow and that's who we worship. So this also applies. We are not to do that with people or things. And he says, verse 5, do not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. And it's not that he's punishing them, even though it uses that word. The NIV uses a bad translation. Uh, the correct language is visiting iniquity, which is kind of true, because if you think about it, there's not a lot of people named Adolf that we meet nowadays because of Adolf Hitler. So what happens is when one person does something that violates the moral code, then God allows the consequences of that action to go generation to generation to generation. And the reason that he does that is so that no other generation will continue to follow and do those immoral things. 
right? So there is a punishment that's allowed to go down, but it's not like God says, hey, uh, Gary was a mass murderer, so I'm going to hold Rachel and Rebecca accountable for his actions. That's not what God does. And he actually says that uh, to one of the prophets. Make sure you explain this to the people. All right, uh, verse 7. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name, because this is how people are led astray morally. And we tend to think misuse his name, you know, the common curse word. It's not just that. It's when you attribute the name of God to something that God has not given his authority to. That's why, and we've talked about this, there are like, of all the New Testament uh, books, there are like multiple ones, I think all but two, that talk about, preach about, and warn about false teachers and false prophets because they lead people away from God and away from God's morality, right? Verse 8 says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son nor your daughter nor your manservant or maidservant, and I know we don't have those. We don't. There are other people that do, Um, nor the alien Within, or excuse me, nor your animals, nor their alien within your gates. Here's the thing. He says, for in six days, this is the reason why you're supposed to work six days and then rest on the seventh. He says, for in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So really quick, I just want to clarify. There are a lot of people, um, not just Seventh-day Adventists, but uh, Christians, uh, they're called Torah observers, who's like, we must obey the Sabbath. True, but it's not about Saturday. They're, they're, they're like, will give their life to like, it must be Saturday. The reason God said do this is because he worked, created in six days and rested on the seventh. In that time, he did not create days of the week. The names of the days of the week did not exist. The, the cultures that came up with the names of the week that we use now did not exist. It was not about a day. When he said this to the Egyptians, hey, because I did this in creation, here now is the standard for you. So one thing, it's not about, uh, for those who wonder, did God create in six 24-hour days? Yeah, that's the model for us. It wasn't six ages, because he doesn't tell us to work for six unknown age periods of time, and then rest for some seventh unknown age, right? But he does say work six days. It's not about it has to be Saturday. It's about taking a day. Six days you work, take care of your family, earn money for yourself, but it's about taking a day to spend time with God, to make sure that you're in relationship with him and you're spending time with him. And here's the thing. Those first four are what compromise compromise, make up the, com- the, 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 the summary of the ceremonial law, because the first four commandments are all about God, all about us interacting with God. Now, the next six are all about us interacting with one another, right? So the next six, I'm going to just run through these quickly. Honor your uh, father and your mother, and all the parents said amen, so that you may live long Uh, in the land your Lord, your God has given you. It's about learning how to respect elders. And everyone said, amen. You shall not murder. Now, there's a difference. It doesn't say you shall not kill because there are times when God says it is okay to kill, to defend your family, to go out and defend your nation. 
He allows that, right? So it says you shall not murder. And again, this is the killing of innocence. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. And you shall not covet your neighbor's house, your neighbor's wife, his manservant or maidservant, his ox or his donkey, or anything that belongs to, his, to, to your neighbor. So don't cover his mansion. Don't covet his Tesla, although we would all love to have a Tesla no matter what you think of you know, Elon Musk. But... We're not supposed to covet those things. We're supposed to be content with what God has provided for us. So then you have these, these 10 commandments, right? You have the, the 613 laws, and then they're comprised, and God says, hey, here's these 10 commandments of how you interact with God and how you interact with one another. And then Jesus comes along and says, those can be totally fulfilled, the entire law, all 613 commandments and two rules, love God and love others. If we're doing that, we're fulfilling the entirety of the law. So I'm going to close with a couple of verses really quick. All right, so Jesus has this conversation. It says we're on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. And when it says an expert in the law, some versions say a lawyer, because this was someone who was knowledgeable in what, comp, uh, what was their law, which was the entire Old Testament which concerned their judicial system, their moral code, the ceremonial, the cultural, all of that. So it would be the equivalent of a lawyer today, and he stood up to test Jesus, and he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And then Jesus, I love the way that Jesus uh, responds, because he says, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Jesus says, hey, what does the Bible say? God is never going to give us something that contradicts his word because his entire word is, comprises the entire law. So if we're abiding by his word, we should be good. So Jesus says, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, this isn't what Jesus said. This is what the guy who studied the law, the Bible, what he came to the conclusion of is that in order to get into heaven, I need to love God and love others because that's what the whole fulfillment of the law is all about. Now, Jesus responded, you know, you have answered correctly. And here's the key. He said, do this and you will live. Do this and you'll live in right standing with people around you. But also he said, do this and you'll live in right standing with God. Because again, this comprised uh, all the aspects of the law. Now, here's the thing. He did what most of us want to do. He wanted to justify himself, so he asked, well, who exactly is my neighbor? Like, Jesus, who exactly do I have to love? Jesus, do I have to love, you know, the guy that just went and shot a bunch of people in Buffalo? Do I really have to love that guy? Do I have to love the guy that, you know, um, you know, pushed his cart up against my car and left a scratch there? Do I really need to love that guy? Do I have to love any of the people that are Ravens fans? Do we have to love any of them? Who, and he does what we do. Who do I have to love? And I have this conversation with a lot of people because I'm like, do I have to love the people that look at me and just because of the color of my skin, they decide that I'm not worth talking to or getting to know? And do I have to love those people? So Jesus gives him an example, and he gives him an example using someone that that person would have hated. He gives them an example, and he says there was a guy who was going down, and he got robbed. And so here's this guy lying on the ground, 
uh, in a puddle of his own blood, robbed all his stuff taken from him. And he says that there was a religious person that walked by, saw the guy, and said, I'm going to go to the other side of the road. There was a, a, a priest who walked by, saw the guy, and said, I'm going to go to the other side of the road. But then a person whom that guy lying there would have hated saw him in need, helped him, took him to a hotel, dressed his wounds, left his credit card, and said, hey, here, this should pay for a couple of days, but if you need more, put it on my credit card. And Jesus specifically, for a reason, used someone who that guy would have known. Uh, it was someone from a town called Samaria, right? And so the Jewish people, the way they looked at Samarians were, uh, you're, you're, you're not worthy of even talking to. And even though in order to get to most places, it would have been easy to go through their town, they would go all the way around their town because they thought they were different politically, different racially, and different culturally. Therefore, they were not worth even, I, even though it could take miles off of my trip, I'm going to go miles out of my way so I don't even have to interact with you. I don't want to go through a place where I breathe the same air that you breathe. And that's who Jesus used to say, hey, that's the guy who helped this Jewish person, right? So then Jesus says, which of these three, was it the guy who that guy would have hated, was it the, 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 the priest who walked away or the religious average sits in a pew for 30 years church goer who walked away? Which of these three was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of Roberts? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And this is the key and this is the most important part. Jesus didn't say, hey, uh, go enact laws so that uh, you can have uh, that type of thing happen in your town. He said, go and do likewise. It's not just, hey, here's the person that you're supposed to love, your neighbor, here's who they are. Jesus made it crystal clear, this is what you are supposed to do. And obviously, yes, if you're in a position and you call yourself a Christian, uh, whether it be uh, you're in a political position or a work position or you own a business or in your home, you are supposed to love God and love others. And then if you're in a position to lead, whether it be politically or in a business, you lead others in such a way that they can love God and love others. But we're not supposed to go and just, hey, I'm going to leave it up to whoever I vote for to legislate this level of morality. What we're supposed to do is go model it so that people can be reconciled to God. Not because they saw someone in office saying, this is what we should do. Right? Because they won't come put a microphone in front of most of us to say, what do we think? It's only the politicians and it's only the popular. So we don't get to do that. So what we have to do is live it out so that people see, yeah, I heard the politicians say this, but I see Beth and I see Sharon and I see uh, Karen and I see Jackie. I see them living it out every single day. I saw the politician tweet this, if anyone's back on Twitter. I saw the politicians tweet this, but I see Joe, and I see Larry, and I see Gary. I see them living it out every single day. Do we want people in office who will put in godly laws? Absolutely. But we're not supposed to be dependent upon that. What we're supposed to do is go and do 
likewise. So I'm going to ask you guys to stand. Uh, we were going to sing, but I think uh, we're going to close out with a time of prayer. Because I think, I'm, 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 I'm trying to not to, to sound too political, but I just got to spit this out. For me, all of the things that we've seen happen in the last couple of weeks just seem a little suspicious, especially leading up to an election. But here's the thing. We as Christians, regardless of what we see, we have our marching orders. We're supposed to go and do likewise. We're supposed to go and live it out. Now, I, I, I will say this, and I, I, I've said this before. I've been saying this for months, right? I've been saying this throughout the pandemic while people were losing their jobs and their homes and their businesses, right? I've been saying this while people were struggling like, hey, I didn't get a, a, a whatever those checks were that they were given out to help people. Uh, and I, I will continue to say this. Right? Because I know of, and you know of, people who have lost their homes, their jobs, their businesses, all kind of stuff. But not one single politician went without a paycheck that entire time. And I don't care what party they are, not one missed one single dollar over the last two and a half, however many years that we've been going through this. But many of the people that we know in our families and circle of influences, they have. So when you go vote, and I'm, I, again, registered independent, doesn't matter whether you're Democrat, doesn't matter whether you're Republican, go and pray, God, who do you want that's going to go and do likewise? And then vote for that person, because this is a primary, within your party that's going to go and do likewise. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. God, we lift up, uh, again, this whole political climate to you. We know it can be divisive. We know it can cause uh, churches to split, and it has. We know it can cause families uh, uh, to divide, and it has. And we know it can cause the people of God to be led astray, and it has. But we pray first and foremost that we would, as your word says, that we would go and do likewise, go and show love and mercy to the people within our circles of influence, that we would first and foremost remember that we are sometimes the only way that people are going to know that you exist is by seeing how we treat them. So we would pray that we would do as Jesus commands, go and show love and mercy to the people within our circles of influence and vote for people within our respective parties who we believe will go and do likewise. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. 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 Uh, pray you guys have an awesome rest of your Sunday. Again, if you are able to, come out and join us for the afternoon of uh, prayer and praise. And I guarantee you'll still be home in time to see the Penguins win. Have an awesome rest of your Sunday. We hope you enjoyed the message. If you did, please leave a comment on our webpage, crossroadsofjeffersonhills.com, or our Facebook page. You can also join our Sunday celebration every Sunday at 1037 a.m. We look forward to hearing from you online or in person. Thank you and God bless.